0: Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc., they're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these catalogued, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles, which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, And at this point, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes. I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. So today's principle is the principle slash concept of abrogation, naskh. And abrogation or nasqh is a technical subject that uh, has to do with our interpretation, how we interpret the Qur'an and the sunnah. And it deals with are there verses or hadith that cancel out other verses and other hadith. And we'll get into that uh, in, momentarily. But, but before that, I think it's important to make uh, a general introduction which is the following, because today's conversation will largely be about the Qur'an, abrogation as it relates to the Qur'an, and, and we'll see why that's significant. Now, we believe, one of the things that we believe, of course, is that the Prophet ﷺ, he had miracles, like all of the other Prophets, they were given miracles. And actually, some of these scholars that, that enumerate and, and followed up all of the miracles they counted, you know, over a thousand miracles of the Prophet. ﷺ. So sometimes we 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 forget that 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 Sayyidina Muhammad he had all of these miracles that that happened, and we believe in them, it's part of our belief system. But there's also a miracle of the message itself, of the prophetic message. And for us, that miracle is the Quran. And I think because of that, we focus more on the Quran sometimes and we forget about the the, the miracles. That the Prophet saw some he had, but nonetheless, the Quran is the is the miracle of the prophetic message of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And what that means for us is we believe that the Quran is preserved, and it's preserved through divine intervention. Has nothing to do with us because Allah Taala says, "Inna nahnu dhikra wa inna lahu Indeed, we have revealed the Quran and we have preserved it. So part of our belief system is that the Quran is preserved you know, with or without us. Of course we are the human agency, but it's preserved its preservation is is something that belongs to the divine, not to us. And part of that belief is we also believe that the Quran is valid for all time, place and circumstance. Meaning that when we when we approach the Quran and we read it, we can read it for spiritual meaning, of course, personal spiritual meaning, but we can also read the Quran to inform a certain issue that we're dealing with now. So for us to believe that the Qur'an is one, the eternal uncreated speech of God, meaning that it's one of God's attributes, two, that it's preserved, and and we have proven this preservation throughout history, and, and inshallah it will continue to be preserved, Therefore, we can conclude and we can understand, okay, now we understand why it would be valid for every time, place, and circumstance, etc. And that means for us fundamentally that the Qur'an is a book of guidance. And the Qur'an itself refers to itself as a book of guidance. Meaning that when we look at the Qur'an, we're, we're, we're trying to find some answers to a predicament, a question, etc. Now, the, the Qur'an is not going to, you know, give us an answer simply of well what does the Quran say about cryptocurrency? I mean that, that's not how we use the Quran, but it, it provides us principles and axioms and themes through which and by which we can apply to our, our predicament or whatever the issue may be and and derive derive meaning. So keep that in mind as as we as you hear me discuss this this concept of abrogation and we're gonna we're gonna end with 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 where we began and and inshallah I hope it will make sense Shifting gears abrogation or neskh simply means that a verse Says this but then later another verse says the opposite and it replaced the ruling or a hadith said, you know, do A, and then a hadith came and said, do B, you know, very basically. So abrogation is is that one ruling has been replaced by another. So if we look at the sunnah first, the sunnah abrogating the sunnah, we find two types of abrogation. One is very simply that the Prophet, peace be upon him, himself says, I used to say this, now I say that. So for example, the very famous example is the hadith that's narrated by Muslim in which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, "Kuntu an ala I used to forbid you from visiting the graveyards, indeed now you should go visit the graveyards. So that's a clear text in which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, I used to tell you you can't do this, uh, maybe because in the beginning of Islam it was too close to Jahiliyyah so the Prophet ﷺ didn't want you know, people going to the graves and doing you know, Jahili practices. But now Islam is you know, more widespread and, and the, the new Muslim community at the time understood these matters and the Prophet ﷺ is saying no you should go visit the graves because in it is great benefit. And from that time till now we have a huge culture of which when we go to the grave graveyards and we visit you know, family or we visit the saints or we visit like the scholars of the past so on and so forth and we have a huge you know, popular religion culture around uh, graves and graveyards and you know, there are even people living in the graveyard, all of these things in the Muslim world so this is a very clear example the Prophet Wasallam in this hadith said I used to say this but now you can do this so this ruling has been abrogated uh, uh, of not, uh, uh, not going to visit the graveyards the second kind of abrogation in the Sunnah is not so clear. And this emerges when the scholars of Hadith, you know, analyze all of the Hadith and they find two that might uh, quote unquote contradict one another. So for example, we know the common ruling that we do not pray after Asr prayer between Asr prayer and Maghrib it's just like a common thing. One of the, the times that we prayer is disliked. But there is a hadith that talks about uh, making tawaf and praying after asr prayer. So the, the ulama of hadith and of, of, of uh, law, jurisprudence, fiqh, they will come together and they will debate this issue. So some schools will be like, well, you see, this is an abrogation so we can pray after Asr. And other schools will say, no, this is not an abrogation, but this is a taqsis. This is specific to to Mecca, specific for somebody visiting Mecca, so on and so forth. And both opinions are correct. But my point here in this example is that this type of abrogation might not be so clear as the first kind. Okay, this this should make sense, right? If you're reading the hadith and, and you find this type of wording, or you find contradiction, it should, this, I think we can wrap our heads around, around this one. But how does... And by the way, in the second kind that we just mentioned, that it's not clear that there's an abrogation, that the, the, the ulama have to debate it, there's only about 10 to 12 of these instances. So I don't want people to think that this is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of instances where Muslims are confused. But what happens with the Qur'an? Because the Quran, we would all admit, is quite different than the Hadith. Is there an abrogation in the Quran itself? Can one verse say one thing and then later in the Quran it's reversed? And this is the issue that I want to speak about, because it has uh, it has big implications for for us for us today. So what I am going to posit is I am going to posit this opinion which is more of a minority opinion historically, but now it's, it's gaining more um, adaptability, that there is no naskh there is no abrogation in the Qur'an. And this opinion was really made more popular by a Moroccan scholar of the previous generation, his name was Abdullah ibn Sadiq al-Ghomari, rahimahullah, who died in the, in the early 90s, in Tangiers. And has was since adopted or subsequently adopted by my teacher, uh, Sheikh Ali Goma, who was at uh, for ten years the Grand Mufti of Egypt, and actually took this understanding of abrogation and in a way institutionalized it in the fatwa process. However, it does have origins in the past. It's, these are not the only two people in the past. There was an an early uh, an early scholar, Abu Muslim Al Asbahani. Who died in the year 322 of the, of the Hijra calendar? And he was the one of the Salaf that was really uh, a proponent of this idea. And his opinion, because in the Quran, in Surah Al Baqarah, in verse 106, uh, the verse reads, We do not abrogate a verse or cause it to be forgotten except that we bring another verse that is better. So that verse is pretty troublesome for my opinion, because well, what do you do with this verse, right? If the verse clearly says we do not abrogate a verse except that we bring something that is better than it. So Abu Muslim al-Asbahani, who was at the time, and look, this is the fourth century of Islam, but at the time by himself, he said, no, no, this verse means that Allah abrogates one religion from another, one sharia. So the sharia of Moses became abrogated by the sharia of Jesus, the sharia of Jesus became abrogated by the sharia of Muhammad alayhi That was his understanding of the verse and that, and that understanding is a legitimate understanding even if at the time it was a minority opinion. So he's saying, okay I don't deny that this, the verse reads like this, it's in Surah al-Baqarah, you know, no problem, but it's not talking about the verses of the Qur'an, it's talking about the verses that were revealed before Islam in general. That each Prophet comes with a religion that in a way abrogates the religion before it. That was his understanding. And this, um, this debate is something that lasted till the modern times, of course, which is why we're talking about it today. And somebody like uh, Imam Fakhreddin al-Razi, who was one of the great uh, you know, luminaries of Sunni Islam, he included this debate in his usul work, and he quotes you know, Abu Muslim al-Asbahani. And in, in doing so, even though he might not necessarily agree with the conclusion, it's his way of saying it is a legitimate different dissenting opinion. So this goes back to the concept of the plurality of Islam, that we have plural interpretations, even though like the Asr prayer we just mentioned, you know, my school of thought in the Shafi'i school of thought, we do not pray. We do not pray unnecessarily after Asr prayer before Maghrib. But, you know, in the school of Imam Abu Hanifa or some of the opinions of Malik or other madhabs, it's okay. So these are concurrently correct. We don't say that one is right and one is wrong. We say that they're concurrently correct. So this is one such differing of opinion. And I'm getting to the point where I hope it will make sense why it's even worth talking about this. Now, this opinion that there is no abrogation in the Qur'an and that this verse in Surah Al-Baqarah is not talking about the Quran, the Muslim Quran, but the verses, i.e. the religions before Islam, is something that each time the concept of abrogation is discussed in its appropriate academic context amongst the Muslim scholars, they acknowledge that there is another opinion. So Imam al-Suyuti, uh, who is another you know f- famous uh, Muslim scholar, he also leans towards this opinion. And his proof is that, well, even if you believe that there is abrogation in the Qur'an, there is no more than six verses in which there is talk of abrogation in the Qur'an to start out with. And in those six verses that some of the scholars say there is abrogation, there is no consensus, there is no ijma whether there's cons- whether there is abrogation or not. And as long as there's no consensus, it's not binding on us to believe in that. So even for people that might find this opinion difficult to, to, to agree with, and you know, everyone is free to disagree, of course, we cannot claim that it's an issue of consensus. If something was, an, like what's consensus? When all of the jurists of, of all of the ages say the same thing. So all of the ulama, all of the Muslims agree that lying is haram. So lying is an issue of consensus. So I can't come down and say, well, actually, there's a white lie and a blue lie and a pink lie and a purple lie and a black. No, lying is haram. You, you, you just can't lie, period. We, we agree to that. So that becomes binding on each generation. But this issue of consensus in the Qur'an, there is no, the, uh, abrogation in the Qur'an, rather, there is no consensus. So Imam al-Siyyuti, he, he, he further gives credence to Abu Muslim al-Asbahani's opinion By pointing out, by the way, in the six verses in the Qur'an which we usually talk about abrogation, there is no consensus whether it's abrogated or not. So then the question is, let us go back to the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, because that was uh, Imam Abu Muslim al-Asbahani's clever way of dealing with it. But there's another way that the later scholars deal with it. So, just to remind ourselves, the verse 106 of al-Baqarah, مَا نَنْسَخْ مِنْ ayatin أَوْ nunsiha Okay, we do not abrogate a verse, or, and usually the English translation is, or cause it to be forgotten. Cause it to be forgotten. The نَسْخ, let's park that. Cause it to be forgotten. nunsiha We find that is the... The the way I just recited the verse, this is the recitation of Hafsan asim which is the, the common way we recite the Qur'an. But we know that there are other recitations of the Qur'an. So in the other recitations of the Qur'an, for example of Abi Amr al-Basri and Imam Ibn Kathir, the verse reads as follows. مَا نَنْسَخْ مِنْ آيَةٍ أَوْ نَنْسَاهَا Not نُنْسِهَا Nanseha, and here nanseha could be understood as to delay, not to be forgotten. Now, when we read the Quran and we come to, and I know this is very, very detailed and micro, a micro issue. It's about one word, but this, you know, it, it is a good reminder for us of how rich our tradition and our scholastic tradition can be. If we look at the way the word reads in the second recitation, to cause it to be delayed Imam Asiyuti and then the scholars after him they say the, the verses are not abrogated but the rulings of the verses are delayed meaning each verse in the Qur'an is equally valid given the conditions of that verse. That's why one verse might be delayed. Why is this important for us? Because the, you know, the warmongers, the extremists, the jihadis, all of these people, they love this discussion of Nesqh because they say there is no coexistence, there is no, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلَيَدِينُ You know, to you is your religion, to me is my religion. There's only the verse of the sword. And they talk about the necessity to go out and fight and kill and this and that. Because this abrogated this. But what we say is no. The verses talk about what is... Uh, what is real for the people reading that verse, so we don 't live in a society in which we are being fought against, which we are being persecuted as a matter of fact, we live in a, as Western Muslims whether we 're in North America or Europe, we live in a secular society that that is established on the freedom of assembly of religion and expression of religion, whatever that religion may be, so we live in this in the in the era of Lakum to you your religion and to me is my religion we live in the, the time and the soci- society of sha'a 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 if you want believe and if you don't, don't believe we have the freedom to do that but there could be people who live in a time and an age in which they are persecuted and therefore they have to defend themselves All of this from this word of delayed, nansaha. So, therefore, this opinion that I am, or this principle that I'm advocating of that there is no abrogation in the Quran, means that we look at all of the verses of the Quran, as we said in the beginning, as verses of guidance. So, what verses work for our predicament? What verses work for our society? And then therefore, those are the ones that we use now. In these issues in which there might be a quote-unquote contradiction, which is like six or seven instances to start out with. So we're not talking about a lot of places. Therefore, I do not give up any of the Qur'an. Because if you agree or you argue that there is abrogation in the Qur'an, and this is another point I want to make uh, that's quite significant, but it's, I don't want to dwell on it too much. It's, all, it's a theological problem. So are you saying God forgot? Or God changed his mind? So he said one thing here and he said one thing there. So theologically, if you take this line that there is abrogation in the Qur'an, eventually you come up with a lot of theological problems. Of course God didn't forget. We just said that we believe that the Qur'an is the eternal, uncreated word of God. So it's outside of time and place. So God can't forget theologically for us so there's no or God can't change his mind because there is no mind to change it, it becomes a theological nightmare so that the position of naskh or abrogation that I, that I'm articulating now is more theologically sound and for people like us that are minority it makes much more sense and because this opinion is was not necessarily needed in the past, it, it, it was sort of dormant as a minority opinion, now it's becoming very, very popular. And most uh, bodies of, of fatwa in Muslim-majority countries, not all, but most of them, are now migrating towards this interpretation of, of nasqh and abrogation, and adopting it, and saying, no, there is no abrogation in the Qur'an. This verse you know, Lakum Dinukum وَلَيَدِينَ is completely valid. And this is the, the age that we live in, the global age of you know, freedom, etc. And this, therefore, is the opinion that we advocate. The last thing, just to, to top off the conversation and to make it make sense, is what is the relationship of abrogation between the Sunnah and the Qur'an? Can there be a hadith that abrogates the Qur'an? Now we understand that all of our primary texts, all of the hadith and all of the verses of the Qur'an have been given to us through narration. So somebody had to verify that this text is the text of the Qur'an and this text is the text that the Prophet said. However, all of, most of the hadith have been narrated singularly. What we call in the science of transmission, Ahad you know there's a single chain that goes back to the prophet sa and that chain can be strong can be so so can be weak etc but all of the verses of the quran have been not translated uh, transmitted singularly but by what we call diffuse congruence this is how dr sherman jackson translates tawatur which I, I like but it's a it's a it's a little bit complex english word diffuse congruence or tawatur simply means that so many people narrated this Text that it's statistically impossible that they all got together to conspire to to, to invent it. We only have about 120 hadith that are narrated that way. But the vast, vast majority of the hadith are narrated singularly. So therefore the scholars of of this science, they say that it is impossible that the sunnah, the hadith, would abrogate the Qur'an. Because the uh, proof text power of the Qur'an outweighs the proof text power of the sunnah when you put them two together. Even though the sunnah is obviously has power in its proof text because we take our religion from the Prophet of course. But the way the hadith is narrated is slightly less than the way the Qur'an is narrated. So therefore the sunnah cannot abrogate the Qur'an. So just something to think about. I understand that this conversation is technical, but the takeaway is that all of the verses of the Quran are verses of guidance and they guide us by being applicable based on our circumstance so we find ourselves at peace we find ourselves free to be muslim we find ourselves you know there are major corporations in the world and in this country that market products for muslims you know that's that's a huge that means part of the economy recognizes that this is a huge consumer group. That you know we are rights are enshrined in founding documents, in laws, freedom of assembly. So we live in the age of people are free to practice what they want. دين, etc. And we should not listen to the noise that no, this is abrogated that we should be following something else. So in the in the issue currently of violence and extremism, this, this conversation of abrogation of Naskh is very important. Uh, and it's something to keep in mind. Wallahu alam.